Ooh, fun facts, facts of fun with Allison and Caitlin. Hi, welcome to Fun Facts Live. It's been a little while, but we're back. I'm your host, David, and with me today is Allison. Hello. Caitlin. Hi. RJ. Hello. And Jake. Hello. Yeah, all right. We're missing our fearless uh, member, Maria. She has injured her knee and is in a lot of pain, and I guess she didn't want to... uh, um, Disturb us all oh. with her. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Paris. That's got to be Paris. Big voices today. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so we hope uh, Maria has a speedy recovery, and we'll see her again maybe in a couple weeks because the next two weeks we're out traveling. So. We but won't. you're going to do today's Swedish word of the day, right? No. Oh. <laughs> Unless it's Fika. That's literally the only Swedish word I know, but we okay. already did that one, so okay. too bad. Um, <laughs> all right, so Fun Facts Live is brought to you by Whatchamacallit. You've just landed your dream job, the junior grape collector position at the world's premier imagination factory. With the help of your new friend Bingo, it's time to explore neighborhoods, gather words, and earn grapes to power imagination. Uh, yeah. You'll need the company app to get started, so what are you waiting for? <laughs> no. Visit wordsmacallit.com to download it from the App Store or Google Play. Word you call it? Swipe words, power imagination. All a, right, and it was a it was little rough. rough. It was rough. <laughs> we're a little rough. Out of practice. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're starting today. Fun fact with uh, today's fun facts with RJ. What have you got for us? What? So, I am attempting to draw. I'm. Oh, I'm having some. Zoom issues with my <laughs> procreate. I will fix this drawing. Um, so, part of the reason that we didn't stream, because I attempted to host the stream last week or two weeks ago, but um, this past week I was in Medellin, Colombia. And one of the things I did in Medellin was ride the Metro Cable, which is um, what I'm poorly depicting here on the screen, if you're watching live. Yeah, it looks like a it's, coffin uh, hanging from a, a swing from a string. <laughs> no. Uh, basically. That's basically, I mean, sort of. It's, oh. um, my mom described it as that ski lift thing. Um, oh. It is a gondola lift system. It's part of Medellin's um, public transport, and it goes... Um, goes all over the city and it is suspended on cables and you're in these little gondolas kind of like at the the London Eye, the Ferris wheel. They're very similar to that. Mm. Um, these little little boxes <laughs> right in with uh, eight or ten people and you can go go anywhere. And I thought it was just like a tourist thing, but it actually is part of their and their public transport people use it to get to school, get to wow. work, because Medellin is completely surrounded by mountains on all sides. It's very, very mountainous. It would be very difficult to have. They do have trains and buses, but to get to certain areas, it's, it would be pretty much impossible to have a train line. So they have Metro Cable. Wow. And I learned this morning that um, 
Line K of Metrocable, which connects the Medellin River Valley to the steep hills in Comunas Uno y Dos, um, Districts 1 and 2, it was apparently the first system in the world dedicated to public transport with a fixed service schedule. Um, which surprised me quite a lot because um, it started fairly recently, like 2004. Um, But there are, I think, earlier sort of editions of it. And the modern one is from 2004. Um, (laughs) It carries 30,000 people daily. Wow. Um, Wow. And it's part of Medellin's mass transit system, which includes also um, a regular metro bus, a regular metro train bus and tramway line. And I rode the Metro Cable and the bus and train (laughs) (laughs) one day. Um, And it's super cool. It is fun, like as a tourist, because you go over and you can see everything and you can hear everything too. Because in some places as you're going up the mountain, you're like, I mean, you're high off the ground, but you're not that high. There was one point we went over a school and you can hear all the kids like, I guess coming in from recess and like, wow. um, it was, wow. it was uh, really neat. But I, um, I will confess that I mostly picked this as an excuse to to draw the Metro Cable. So yeah, I'm gonna improve this drawing. Nice. <laughs> Super cool drawing. I'm just very curious how how does it does it how do you get on and off? Like, is it like a ski lift where it just keeps going and you jump out? Or um, does it like? Uh, so like, it does, it it does stop keep moving one at a time. Oh, it does keep moving. Um, it doesn't stop, but it comes into these stations and goes very slowly through the station. So we actually wrote it um, in in a circle. Um, I went with a, two of my friends, and we. Uh, I'm gonna try to draw while I talk because I'm talking with my hands, and I realize you can't see me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got on at one station. And took the line all the way around and stopped at a few. And then there's the uh, the end, you know, the end point of the line. Mm-hmm. And it just turns around and comes back. Okay. And we didn't get on at the end point. So, you know, it continues. But there are a few little stations where I have my... How does it slow? I don't understand how it can go. If it's on a cable system, how some of them can slow down or stop and... While the rest keep going, or does they don't they don't stop? It just goes quite slowly, and within the stations, there will be several gondolas, kind of all back to back, and then they'll go. Oh, so they can out. like go independently, so they can slow mm-hmm. down or yeah. speed up independently. Yeah, oh. yeah. I'm not entirely like, sure how it works. This is just sort of how I how oh, so I saw like it. Motorized you know, I or something, yeah. and they actually crawl along a, a stationary cable. Yeah, it's much more sophisticated yeah. than like a ski lift chair. Okay, yeah. I was imagining this cable just like a clothesline or something, just going around and they're no, all no, like no. attached to it. Okay, no. no. Okay, okay. That's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, fascinating. Can it? So do you, does one just go in a particular loop, or can you like? Can it like change? Does it have like switches like a railroad or something where you can like? Switch to another. um, I need to look at a map because I'm not entirely sure about that, but there are five lines. So I think you can get off at one station and go on a different line. Okay. um, Depending on where you're going. Um, I did also read that, um, like, I thought this was super cool because I've never seen anything remotely similar to this. Um, You know, the cable cars being actually uh, 
lifted like that, except for, you know, ski lifts, but never seen something like this as part of a public transport. But apparently um, it's, it's growing in Latin America. There's the Metro Cable in Caracas, Venezuela, um, Mi Telefer Teleferico in La Paz, Bolivia, Manizales, Cali, Bogota, all in Colombia and uh, Mexicable near Mexico City. So um, I guess it makes sense in these places that are kind of mountainous. Right. You know, they have um, these lifted. Yeah. Uh, metro. yeah. And I, <laughs> I mentioned when we were not recording that I think my friend is listening. Now I hope he's not because I'm probably getting a lot of this wrong. Um, I apologize. <laughs> hey, my managing friends are listening right now. Please correct me. <laughs> Follow us on all the social media and correct us on social media. <laughs> um, I am probably getting a lot of this wrong. I was just doing a little bit of reading this morning, but yeah. I just thought it was super cool. We have to maybe rename the show Fun What Probabilities or something. Instead of facts. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe. 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 Facts. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Fun Possibilities. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, that's super fascinating. I would love to, to travel on something like that. I think, did you say we're going to ride something high up in the air in London? Yeah, we're going to do the Emirates cable cars over the river. Oh, okay. Nice. All right. Yep. That should be an adventure. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that brings us to Caitlin. How about? Okay. Yeah. Mine is uh, completely different from RJ's <laughs> this week. <laughs> um, so... I bring you a tale of art forgeries and Nazis. Ooh, <laughs> oh, intriguing. <laughs> okay, so um, so there was a Dutch painter in uh, the early 20th century uh, by the name of Han van Meegeren, and he he was he like he tried to make it as a painter on in his own right and you know create his own work, but he was kind of like wasn't you know, doing super great at it. And the, the like art, artistic movements of the time, I guess, were not really in sync with his style. And so the critics were all like, oh, he's just copying the old Dutch masters. He's not really uh, embracing, you know, what we think of as the new, the new good, you know, the new, the new artwork that's in, that's in vogue at the time. Okay. So he was like, all right, fine. I'm just going to embrace this. So he goes off and decides to, to devote himself to creating these forgeries. I mean, of that are meant to look like, like Vermeer and some other, you know, artists that I'm not as familiar with, um, but from people at the same time period, but he wasn't trying to make a direct copy. Right. So he wasn't like going out and trying to copy say, the girl with the pearl earring, which is like a, you know, the kind of the, that famous Vermeer. Um, he would basically try to make paintings that would fe could feasibly be by that artist, so that people would be like, "Oh, we've found a lost Vermeer. It's going to be worth millions of dollars." Or oh, so he actually had that whatever, in mind? whatever. What, uh, I guess not dollars, but uh, <laughs> whatever the currency was in the Netherlands at the time. Um, so anyway, he. So he, he, he actually got pretty successful at doing this. And so I, what I, part of what I liked reading about was that the lengths he would go to fool, um, to fool, you know, art critics about this. So he would uh, somehow sourced authentic canvases from the 17th century 
And then he would make his own paints from the raw materials that they would have used around the time, like lead for white and um, indigo and stuff. And basically try to try to emulate what what the paints would have been in in the time of these old Dutch masters. So, oh, and he even made his own paintbrushes. So he was like really, really dedicated to copying to to really to doing these forgeries right. So the so you can fool, you know, you can fool people to an extent, right, on these by using the right materials, but it doesn't address the problem of how to make the painting look like it's two or three hundred years old. So what he would do is he would put bakelite, which is like a form of formaldehyde um, onto on top of the painting when he was done. And then that would make it harden and crack. Hmm. And then when he, by heating it up and then he would like wash, and then it says he would wash it with India ink to fill in the cracks. So then it would just make it look old. And, you know, for, you know, usually when you're looking, when you're trying to, to detect a forgery, the first thing you look at is, or kind of the main thing you look at is are the paints, you know, are the paints in the canvas kind of the authentic material? And nobody would have thought to look at what was like, what was it coded in or whatnot. Uh-huh. So, so we got pretty good at this. Um, he passed off a number of these forgeries as authentic, including selling some of them to some Nazis <laughs> during World War II when the Netherlands was occupied. Wow. So then this came to so then this came to light after the war, and he was about to be in real big trouble for being a collaborator, as you can imagine. And at this point, he had to be like, no, 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 they're fake. Because <laughs> <laughs> what you know, I didn't, I didn't sell this, I didn't sell these Nazis like a real Vermeer. It's it's a fake. So, you know, I tricked them. I'm a hero. And, <laughs> and so then he had to like go about how do we can, how do I convince people that actually, actually these are fakes after all. And so what it, so there was a lot of back and forth with this and, you know, scientists got involved in trying to figure out how to prove this one way or the other. And basically the, 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 um, I don't know, the key piece of evidence, I guess you could say, was in his white lead paint because uh, lead in the 17th century was came from a different source than it typically did in the 20th century. And so there were certain impurities, um, silver and something else in the old older lead than there is in the newer, the newer because of just how it's processed. And so that's how they were able to figure out that, okay, actually, even though it is lead, which is so like, it passes that kind of first round of testing. Uh-huh. It wasn't the, the, um, the impurities weren't right. And so they were able to figure out that like, okay, yeah, you're only, you know, this, this was, if this was you after all, okay, fine. And so he was <laughs> sentenced to like a year in prison instead of, you know, life. <laughs> wow. um, and then I think he died before he could even be, uh even went to yeah he didn't even he didn't even actually go to it was like a couple days before he was due to report uh to go to prison and he died (laughs) of a heart attack not like anything oh my goodness yeah anyway wow (laughs) yeah that's bizarre what was the name 
Um, the artist name? Yeah. Uh, Han Van Meegeren. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. Okay. That's how I've heard it pronounced, Caitlin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. Can I add a supplemental fun fact? <laughs> yes, Go. please. Oh. I was like, I bet Allison knows the story already. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, yes. One of the things I like about the, like that made it so probable is there was a huge explosion in the Netherlands in the late 1500s, the explosion at Gelft. And so many Dutch masterpieces are presumed lost as a result of that explosion that if you're going to like have fakes, it's like the most probable type of art to forge because they know for a fact that like several Rembrandts were lost uh-huh. um, and some other Dutch masters in that explosion. So people are like so hopeful that something survived that they like yeah. wanted to believe they were still out there. Oh, yeah. And I think also there's an element of so a lot of times these painters weren't appreciated. These artists weren't appreciated in their own time. Yep. And mm. so things weren't, you know, preserved or treasured in the way that we would now. And so they kind of were just lost because nobody, people didn't think they were wor- going to be worth anything. And now it's hundreds of years later and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. look at this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, that definitely, that's, that's definitely a fascinating fun fact. I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted by Allison's. Uh, I thought she was going to do a fun fact that she's apparently not going to do based on... What have you got for us, Allison? Wow, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was going to do... Um, David was... Uh, well, don't give... Maybe I'll do it then. Don't spoil well, it. Well, I'm going to tell you the reason I didn't do it. Okay, fine. It's because the place that it's about is very close to Caitlin's house. And I was like, Caitlin's going to know way more about this than like the quick... Uh-oh research that I'm going to do. So I thought, um, Caitlin, well, I'll just say, Caitlin, have you ever been to the I Love You Lighthouse? No. Okay. It's in Cohasset. Okay. Yeah. That is very close to me. Yeah. Okay. Now I want to tell the story just from a little bit today. Okay. Go ahead. Since you're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, Okay. But I feel like I I wish I had done a little more research, (laughs) but uh, now I got to, I got to do some counting. One, four, well, let Three. Allison give her other fun fact and we can come back to it while you read. No, it's okay. I while got you it. Research. I got it. He's got, got it. it. He's got it. Very short fun fact. Okay. Um, okay. So Are you trying to take my counting job? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm not doing it very well, though. You might have to take over. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I was listening, overhearing um, Allison doing her Peloton, and someone was, some old school instructor was talking about back in the day that people used to page each other with the numbers one, four, three. And she's like, if you know what that means, like props to you. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. Does that, do any of you? Yes. Oh. Oh. Because, you've, because you've given enough context, I'm, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, yeah. So it means, it means I love you and it's based on the numbers of, of letters in each word, one, four, three. So it was a short. It was it was a shortcut for uh, for I love you. Um, but what I found fascinating was where it didn't originate with pagers. So the story goes something like this, and this is from memory of a quick read. But yeah. um, it was a, f- a father who ran a lighthouse um, who told his children that um, so the the lighthouse did uh, blinks one uh, one four three. 
in a in a pattern one four three, and he told his kids it was it was telling it was spelling out I love you, um, just as a fun you know story to, for his his children. Anyway, it caught on uh, to the point where it became that particular lighthouse became known as the I love you lighthouse. So hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it originated even earlier than that in the 1850s or something like that with uh, oh, ships were using it, the uh, numbers for a number system with blinking or something like that. But anyway, anyway, that's the, that's the background that, uh, where the numbers 143 came from. Anyway, <laughs> maybe not as fun as I thought. Allison, what do you have? <laughs> well, um, I'm very excited for our trip to London um, this week. Um, I, I have been before. It's the first time David has been. But one of the sites I did not get to see the last time I was there because it was under res uh, renovation is Big Ben. So I thought I would do some Big Ben fun facts. Okay. Um, okay. First fun fact, Big Ben is not the name of the tower, <laughs> which I did not know. Big Ben is the name of the bell inside the tower, Oh. which had no idea about <laughs> that. Um, the tower used to be called the clock tower, just the clock tower, um, which is probably why the bell caught on because it had a catchy name. Um, but. The clock tower was actually renamed in 2012. Does anybody know what its new name is? I mean, I know only because I was looking over no. your shoulder. Oh. <laughs> well, Parliament Tower or something? It's called What's Elizabeth that? Tower. It was mm. renamed for Queen Elizabeth mm. um, in 2012 for her jubilee. Oh. Which I thought was pretty cool. Um, other fun fact is no one knows how Big Ben actually got the nickname Big Ben. Um, there are two competing theories, so I will share them both. Um, one is that it was named after a government bureaucrat, uh, Sir Benjamin Hall, who was the first director of the National Works Department. Um, and the other theory is that it was named after um, a very popular heavyweight boxer who was champion at the time that construction finished um, for the tower, and his name was Benjamin Kant. So... Nobody really knows which Big Ben was famous enough to have the bell named after named after it. But those are some of my oh. Big Ben fun facts. The tower slightly leans. Apparently, it's only very noticeable if you're up close. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. that'll make it more interesting to when I actually get to see it. Yeah, and supposedly, it's, it's very accurate. Um, it's accurate within two seconds. They check every two weeks. Um, and it's only had one major mechanical failure where it got off time, and that was in 1976. Oh, it's automated. Is that right? Well, no, it's mechanical. It's like a giant grandfather clock. Right, but it like it goes on its own. There's not someone up there like. No, they oh, they have to time. wind it three days three times a week. But they only have to wind it, and they don't have to actually ring it. Okay. Well, you don't have to ring it. a clock. What do you mean, ring a clock? I thought it was a. I thought it was a bell that you ring. Like pull the strings, you know, like Notre Dame or whatever. There's a clock and a bell here. Yeah, yeah so, I think I think the bell's automated. The clock is mechanical. But I actually didn't find any research about if the bell 
the rings on the clock, but the clock's mechanical. Oh crap! So I, I didn't do uh, good research. We've got some research to do. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. My bad. So I think the bell. Um, so the bell, if I remember right, so they're they're doing some construction on the the like actual bell tower part. Yes. Like where the bell is housed, and so the bell itself doesn't ring anymore. That's oh. a recording. I think the last actual bell ringing was like in 2016 or 17, something like that. Oh. It was recent. Um, but yeah. But supposedly like, the that that renovation is supposed to end in 2022. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's this year. So, yeah, this year. Okay. Maybe so, you guys will hear the actual bell oh, wow. when you go there. Be very exciting. That would be amazing. Um, so wait. Now explain to me what the relationship between the clock and the bell is. Does it when the clock <laughs> rings, does it ring the bell? When the, I mean when the clock goes off, does it ring the bell? Or are they two just completely separate things? I think the bell is like the chime of the clock. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well I think I don't know. <laughs> well we'll double check when we're there. How's that? Okay. We'll report back if we're if we've given you some false information today. It's do to some be, research on the yeah. ground. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I need I need a very experienced tour guide to tell me yes, what's, what's what. actually going on. Yeah. Fun if, facts live, hard hitting reporting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll have to we'll do a, a voice note on the phone. Play it next time. Yes. All right. Well that'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jake. Yes. Have the bookend it and bring it home. What have you got? Um, so I actually have a couple, but, oh, uh, I think, I think I'll just do, do one, I'll probably save another one. Well, I'll do two. Currently outside, there is a crow that is carrying around a bone, like a dog. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what's going on. That <laughs> is fascinating. might be hard to the end times. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How big is this bone? <laughs> Could it be? Like, it's, it's like a. A chicken leg, like wow! What? Oh, that's dark. I can't, I can't see it from where I'm sitting. What the heck? It, it, it might have waddled off. But like I got a picture, but don't worry, I'll, I'll share it here. I'm scared. That's very confused. Um, but uh, my actual fun fact for today: um, Does anyone know the song "All by Myself"? Yes, I sing it all the time. Celine Dion. <laughs> yes. Um, so my fun fact, I was actually listening to uh, a video about the song um, and, and some other like musical concepts it, it was covering. Um, I learned that. Uh, so Eric Carmen, uh, he is the original writer of the song, the composer of the song. Um, it didn't do particularly well with his rendition of it. Um, and then Celine Dion, his manager, got a hold of it and changed things up. And, and you know, the rest is history, so they say. Mm. Um, but he actually got the theme for that song from a uh, Rachmaninoff piano concerto. Oh. Um, he just straight up stole it. Uh, he thought it was in public domain. Okay. Uh, and it was not. Oh. <laughs> and so after his uh, after his song was published and released, uh, the Rachmaninoff estate got a hold of him and said, hey, this is actually protected. Um, and so the deal was 
that the Rachmaninoff estate would get 12% of all sales and would get a writing credit for the song, oh. uh, which mm. makes Sergei Rachmaninoff's number one hit <laughs> all by myself. <laughs> song by <Shane> Dion. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's very funny. Yeah, man, maybe that's why it, it, the, the melody does really stick in my head. Um, anytime anyone says something about being by themselves, it just pops in and starts playing. And then sometimes I <laughs> vo- voice it. <laughs> yes, he's saying he's. That's one of his favorite songs to to burst into song. I don't know why. Yeah, and I had no idea. Yeah, the melody was from Rachmaninoff. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. All right. Well, th- those are definitely some fun facts for today. Um, yeah, the second one. Oh, you got more? Bring it. We only we are not doing fun facts for the next two weeks, so wouldn't hurt hey, to bring cool. in a, bring on an extra. Uh, let me pull up my other sheet then. I think oh, when yes. you said he had two, the first one was... Uh, oh, the crow. Oh, playing, uh, the crow. Oh, sorry. I misunderstood. Uh, I was looking... I will have to send you a picture because there's... I knew there was when I had to find the block. There's um, a Rachmaninoff plaque in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We'll have to send it to you. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, it's where he... Uh, he lived from 1926 to 1943. Mm-hmm. And where? Where in uh, West End and eighty fifth, right where we were walking this morning. Oh, interesting. I'll have to check out that plaque next time we're yeah. over there. Fascinating. All right, did that give you enough time, Jake? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so I learned a new term uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, and I didn't believe it. Uh, I thought no way that this is true, but it is. Um, so there's a, there's a term called gastro diplomacy. Oh. Um, it is the state sponsorship of ethnic food in foreign countries. Uh, and so the, the country that really does this the best is Thailand. Um, if you notice that all of the, the Thai restaurants have the same variation of names, um, they started a program... Sorry, are you talking about like Thai restaurants in the U.S. or? Yes, Uh, it's not just the U.S. This is an an international thing for Thailand. Right, but I meant Thai restaurants in non-Thailand countries. (laughs) Correct. Okay, got it. Um, And so kind of the idea is that food is uh, really connected to culture. Uh, And if you want a foreign country to understand your culture, then you'll share food with them. Um, And so Thailand actually sponsors three different tiers of Thai restaurants. um, And they hold them to a standard, like they give loans to the the restaurant owners and the business owners to, to make certain types of Thai food. Um, And the ambassador, like the, the, the Thai ambassadors, are food critics. Um, And so when they're in a city or a state or, you know, uh, another country, they'll go around to Thai restaurants and sort of check in on, on how they're doing and see if they're like 
just accepting the money and doing what they want or like they're actually um, upholding the the Thai like the standards that they agreed to and like serving these types of foods and all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, man, that's super interesting. But uh, I was kind of surprised that it, that it was happening, but then I'm more surprised that they're not the only ones that do it. Um, And so like Korea, China, China does it a lot. Um, What about Vietnam? Vietnam does it, yeah. Okay, because I, I I have a related fun fact that I don't I don't actually know if it's completely a fact, <laughs> but it's an interesting uh, theory. Oh gosh, <laughs> um, that a lot of these places, um, Vietnamese places in particular, use the same menu, so you can and they have a number, so you can order by number basically, no matter what Vietnamese restaurant you go to, and you get the same thing. So like. I like number nine for my pho um, on pretty much any Vietnamese pho restaurant menu. And I think it's because... What is, your, what is number nine then? Um, I'm going to look up my local Vietnamese restaurant and see which, kind of, oh, which number yeah, pho be, I like. <laughs> that would be fascinating um, to see if it's the same one. So it's a couple kinds of beef. I forget exactly, uh-huh. but... Um, it's is, like, it, is it brisket and sirloin? Is that what you get? Uh, there's brisket and the one that's not like that's raw, that's rare, and then cooks when you put it in the, the hot broth, and then okay. it's it's every it's all the kinds of beef except for oh, the scary one to me. <laughs> but but yeah, it's like two is or three kinds of beef. Tendon or tripe? Yes, or? yes, without the tripe, with the tendon or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, and you say that's number nine. I, well, yeah. so number nine at my <laughs> at my local uh, <laughs> Vietnamese restaurant, which is in Cohasset, so the same place to Allison's Lighthouse, is is chicken. <laughs> number oh, nine is chicken. Shoot. So I don't okay, think it's the same. Okay, my theory. Um, I wonder if it's only think, New York. I think the one. So, like, one is just steak, and two is steak and flank, which is. The one that Blank, cooks yes. that cooks when you put it in, which okay. I did not know the last time I ordered it, <laughs> and I got this like raw meat, and I was like, uh, "Yeah, I get that in there fast before it cools down." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's making me hungry for pho. All right, so it's definitely not a not a fact everywhere. No, I don't think it's universal. I think there are might, yeah. maybe. You know, there maybe, could be a, a like a group of them in New York City that all share the same. Right, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Maybe I, it's like locally they do that, but yeah, because what I understood does not is seem to be universal. Okay, yeah, what I understood is like um, there's like a standard menu for basically startups, and I don't mm. know exactly where it comes from, but I was curious if it was related to um, Jake's fun fact in that like maybe they have some sort of standard menu they're supposed to use if they agree to this well or, or at thing. least maybe like when you're starting out and then you can change it later right. or it's like it's just a like here's a template to help you get started yeah 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 you know and that's that's basically what this is it's like they'll um they'll offer three different types of investment the the thai government will uh and okay. like based on what you think your market is going to be you know it'll give you They'll help you decorate it the same. That's why all the Thai restaurants kind of look the same decoration. Okay. Uh, the names are all similar. Uh, so like 
uh, Elephant Jump is like a fast food Thai restaurant. It's like cheap, right? And then anything with basil, like cool basil, that's like the mid range. Oh, uh, and then any like the Golden Leaf, that's like authentic Thai food. You know, oh, good to know. Break down the prices and yeah. What's what's the one so we really love? Sen Thai. Sen, okay. Doesn't follow any of that pattern, but they might be yeah, independent. The, the, uh, the, the fancy Thai restaurant in my hometown is called Typhoon. T H A I T H O N. Which I think is creative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we love, uh, so whenever I go to a Thai place now, I look for yellow curry. Mm-hmm. I found that it's pretty hard. I don't know. I haven't found it at too many places they all have like green curry red curry all different colors of curry but mm. not yellow for some reason yeah. but uh that is my new like incredible favorite it's so good it's my my first meal back to new york <laughs> was yellow curry yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's delish well that is interesting all right i'm gonna have to start looking for that we'll see if we can find some golden thai restaurants around town somewhere okay. yeah Check it out. Sounds good. Oh, my, my local Thai restaurant has yellow curry, David. So I guess. Oh, you got to try it. Have sometimes. you had it? <laughs> I don't know oh, how good it is. Gosh. I haven't had it. But, so but we, have, we have red curry, yellow curry, and green curry. And uh-huh. masaman, which oh. I don't know what that one is. I don't but. know that one. I got yeah. I get hung up on yellow curry. Once I had that, I, I stopped trying everything else on the yep. menu. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, this is my jam. All right. Yeah. Well, that is... Fun facts for this week. We'll see you back in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, Two-week hiatus yep. here, unless RJ figures out how to pick up the stream somehow. We'll see. Yep. <laughs> we'll see. I'll do my best. All right. I will try it again. <laughs> All right. And I, I will try to do what I need to do on my end to, to, to enable it as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So, maybe. Oh, so three. Okay. I guess we could have. We can talk about this offline. But three weeks is March 19th. So, are we doing... Uh, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah, that sounds fun. Or Pie Day. Or Pie Day. Or Pie Day, sure. Okay. We can do. We can do either or. Okay. Okay. I love Pie Day. <laughs> I know what Allison's going to be doing. Yes, you Something do. Something about pie. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll see you back after Pie Day. Um, RJ, can you let people know where they can find us and also check out your amazing artwork that we got to watch live. Yes. Uh, if you like the show, follow us on all the social media. We're at Hot Chai Games on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. If you're not watching on Twitch right now, we're also at Hot Chai Games there, where we stream the Match Solitaire Daily Challenge and then record this podcast with live art every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. Like, subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your friends. Thanks. All right. That's it for us. We'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone. Bye. 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 Oh, fun facts. Facts are fun with Addison and Caitlin.